Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. That Cast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I am back after taking a week off. Uh, sorry, I didn't have a pop for you guys last week, but I was just, uh, just too busy doing some Oregon State baseball stuff and working on a couple other projects to record anything. I'm sure most of you guys were pretty busy watching the men's and women's tournaments anyway, so hopefully you will forgive me. It is spring break in Corvallis. The football team is taking a you know lengthy break uh, break from practice. Not really anything new to report on that front. Um, Oregon State baseball uh, will be at Washington this weekend, and in, in what should be another super competitive series in the Pac-12. You know, four Pac-12 teams right now are actually ranked in the top ten, and so I just what what a year it's shaping up to be in the conference. It's, it's kind of exciting that, you know, five, six, maybe even seven teams could earn bids to the NCAA tournament. Men's basketball uh, for Oregon State is obviously done for the year following uh, an early exit in the Pac-12 tournament. You know, the the big question kind of hovering around the program is about Trace Tinkle. You know, will, will he leave early for the NBA draft or, or come back for his final year uh, with the Beavers, you know, or Oregon State beat reporter Nick Daschle from the Oregonian. I, I believe he said that, that we should hear a uh, decision from Trace in, in a couple weeks or so. And it does seem like there, there certainly is a chance that he will go pro. If I had to guess, uh, I think we'll see Trace declare for the draft and eventually opt to come back to school. But, you know, he, he is a fourth year junior, so it would absolutely make some sense if he just, you know, wants to start his pro career and, and get get on with things. The The biggest story from the weekend was uh, was certainly the Oregon State women's basketball team, which earned a, a pair of pretty, uh, pretty hard fought victories to advance to its fourth straight Sweet 16. Uh, the Beavers survived a, a major overtime scare against Boise State in the first round and then came back to uh to knock off feisty gonzaga 76 uh yeah final score 76 70 monday night um oregon state will face louisville at 6 30 p.m friday in albany new york uh yukon and ucla are also in that regional and to break down um all the action we saw last weekend at gill coliseum and and also what lies ahead for the beavers uh will be uh steve kress from the corvallis gazette times he's going to hop on the pod again and uh, join me and give his thoughts on, on on what he saw last weekend and what you know Oregon State can accomplish moving forward. You know, I I hope Steve was able to get some sleep after a busy three days at, at Gill because I, I think he wrote about a dozen stories, and I know that he's got a, a a plane to catch back to the East Coast before too long. I, I believe they I believe the team's flying out Wednesday, but thankfully. He had enough time to join the show for a bit, and yeah, we'll we'll talk some Oregon State women's basketball and uh, break down the Albany Regional. Before I bring Steve on, I want to thank all of you guys, as always, for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. You can find my podcast, plus uh, you know many others on a variety of topics on the website. The Beaver Buzz podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, so as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. And now, let's go ahead and get to Steve Gress. Red line rocks! 
Redline special because we got three different types of training going. We have 20 minute speed, 20 minute skill, and the rest is uh, weightlifting. It's really cool, so it's gonna get me really ready for college. Come down and join the Redline team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the Oregon State women's basketball team uh, gutted out its second close win in three days Monday night edging Gonzaga 76-70 in the NCAA tournament round of 32. The Beavers will be heading to Albany, New York later this week to take on number one seed Louisville in the Sweet 16. But I am not in Albany, New York right now. I'm actually in Albany, Oregon. For some reason, Steve Gress from the Corvallis Gazette Times and Albany Democrat Herald invited me over to his house. And uh, I guess he's willing to talk some basketball after what was a pretty wild weekend at Goss Stadium. Or at Gill Coliseum, I should say. So, Steve, thanks so much uh, for having me over and joining the show. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming trying and seeing the house again. It's been a while. and uh, True. And I think it was probably a pretty crazy weekend at Goss Stadium, too, with a couple of uh, some good wins by the baseball team. Yeah, I know it was. And, well, you know, moving to different venues here and there, hopping over to campus, you get things mixed up. But, you know. Goss Stadium outdoor, Gill Coliseum indoor, and yeah, the the action indoors was certainly certainly pretty crazy. And honestly, I don't really know where to kind of start with all this. I mean, it's no secret Oregon State, you know, probably wasn't playing its best, you know, late in the regular season. Bowed out early, one and done in the Pac-12 tournament. And, you know, I, I kind of thought there was a pretty good chance that Oregon State, you know, might lose at home in the NCAA tournament just with kind of how they were playing or how things were trending. And, you know, you can make the argument they should have lost to Boise State on uh, that was on Saturday. And uh, but, you know, Michaela Pivik and Aaliyah Goodman, they, they didn't let that happen. And Oregon State, you know, overcame that late deficit and won in overtime. So I, I would say the Beavers, what they, they played a lot better on Monday, I think, kind of on both ends, I'd say against a Gonzaga team that was you know missing a couple key players, but still a really strong team with plenty of weapons. It was a back and forth game. So Oregon State pulled away late, won it, made the critical plays at the end and Steve, I guess after all of that, I don't really know what what were your kind of main takeaways from the weekend. I mean, it was not much of a lead in there, but there was, yeah. there's just so many ways we can go with all this. One, I think is that the competition level in women's basketball on a whole is really good. If Boise State is a 13 seed, and let's be honest, if they were going to be in this pod in Corvallis, they should have been the 12. They were better than Arkansas Little Rock. Past the eye test, they were deeper. Um, not that. Little Rock wasn't well coached and didn't have talent. I, if you just look at those two, and I think that when you have a team like that that feels slighted, and Boise State did. I mean, Cordy, Cordy Presnell, their coach, was made no bones about it. The players, they they made no bones about it. They they felt like they should not have to play a host school in the first round. And, and Gordy said it afterwards. He goes, "We shouldn't have. We should have won this game first, And he's probably right against Oregon State. And he goes, "And we should have been playing this game on Monday." You know, saying that that should have been the the second round game and the, the trip to the to the Sweet 16, and I agree with him. Seeing you know what I saw, I think you know they may have been able to come out and beat Gonzaga. Not to take anything away from Gonzaga, but I think you know Gonzaga got up 21 to two, and then they kind of not limped there because they never let the game get below nine. Um, did a nice job to get that first round game, but it would have been I would have really enjoyed seeing Boise and Gonzaga play each other just to kind of see. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really know too much about the metrics of all of it, but I just I saw a lot of comments on that on Twitter, and then I go and I look at their resume, and you know, what was that, a twenty-four point loss at Washington State? You know, they did beat Washington, but I mean, there was nothing really about the Boise State resume that left off the left off the page to me. Now I understand in terms of eye test watching and play. Yes, Boise looked like a strong team. So but- if you want to look at metrics, a thirty-eight RPI compared to a sixty RPI. And, and then you look at Arkansas Little Rock, and I'm just using Arkansas yeah. Little Rock in this. I'm saying like I'm not saying they should have been a ten or a nine or an eight. And I don't think they were saying that, but I don't think they've they felt like they should not have to play a host team, you know, that on the other team's home court mm-hmm. in the first round. They, no problem with obviously going someplace and having to possibly play the host school in the second round, but if you look at that, I mean, just between those two, that there's a huge difference there. And and who did, who did little rock beat? I mean, they Uh, played a bunch of good teams and they didn't beat them, you know? And so, and I think a lot of stuff that happens early in the season, you just never know. But if you look at this team and you look how deep they were and the players coming off the bench and, and that can make big shots. And they did, they took and made big shots. they, Part of it, I think, was they just felt like we've got something to prove, and and they did that. I don't think anybody that walks away goes, yeah, they were a 13 seed, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I think people go like they were probably pretty underseeded there. They should have been a little bit, you know, higher, a 12, maybe an 11. Uh, one guy I know on Twitter thought maybe even a 10, and you know, I think they could give seven seeds a run for their money. I don't know if they earned a 10 seed, but I mean, I definitely think, Mm -hmm. you know, having that opportunity to play a neutral site is what Gordy kept saying at game. I think that probably was fair for them this year. No, I mean, Boise was certainly terrific. I I saw a lot of things I liked uh, from them from an offensive perspective, keeping in that game, but also on on the defensive end. I mean, there, there were long periods of that game where Oregon State didn't seem to really be in sync offensively. And also that that isn't really anything new in the last month or so. It just they they they've been it seems like in chunks of a lot of these games there's just been extended periods of time where the Oregon State offense ha- has kind of stalled, and I guess where where do you kind of think that the Beavers are maybe at big picture wise on the offensive end right now because you know on Monday against Gonzaga I feel like that things did run more smoothly uh, you know there were some missed shots here and there but it, it seemed like there was just a better flow over offensively I mean the 76 points. Um, you know, that, that certainly does stand out, but uh, there, there are some fouls, some free throws and all that. I guess where, where do you kind of think overall Oregon State, Oregon State is at offensively then? I mean, I think it's tough. They've, I think that the loss of Cat Tudor is really showing up now. I mean, yeah. and, and, and Lisa Fortier kind of said it, mentioned it. Gonzaga's coach last night was, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they had two of their top four scorers out. And you can get by for a little while without that. You know, you can kind of fill in. But then after a while, it becomes like, Okay, now there isn't that person. You don't. You just can't play up to that level. I think that's kind of where Oregon State is too. You know, they played some good teams. Now everybody's got it. I mean, both teams were like, we want to go in there. We feel like they're vulnerable. We feel like we can get a win. Um, and, and so, it, it, and there's a lot more pressure playing at home in the NCAA tournament. Um, I I think just kind of the they're still kind of struggling to to kind of maybe get destiny going at times to do some things like you can see like in the third quarter when she scored nine straight when she was able to get all the way to the basket. I if they can find some ways to get her to not go in there and stop, pull back out and go, if she can get just get 
to the basket. I mean, I think they're pretty unstoppable. And, you know, it was interesting. They started Matty Washington at the post instead of Joe Grimmick and both those. It, it just was a matchup thing um, is what Scott Ruick said last night. I just felt like her speed and athleticism um, was something that could combat kind of the, the, the quicker posts that Gonzaga would throw out there and things like that. And I think that's true. And so I think you see some of that, like just kind of that not having that consistency in the post position, depending on where things are, you know, like last year, obviously Marie Gulich was there and, you know, for the last couple of years and then Ruth Hamlin. So you knew what you had there and you could work your offense around there. I think sometimes they go and I just don't know if they have one player on this team that says, give me the ball and I'm going to be able to score. And I would say it's kind of Michaela Pivik, but she needs a little bit of help to kind of get going. And even then she kind of goes in and goes, "Uh Oh, wait, wait, kick it back. I think just kind of, if you had that one player that could go and a destiny could be it. And if she could just get to the 10, like she did in that third quarter and really got them back into the other down six at that point. And, you know, her ability to, to get down there and, and penetrate it and score and then kick out, you know, I think really is something that they're going to need to do against Louisville. Yeah, I mean, we can talk more about Desti and Maddie later. Both of them, you know, particularly Maddie, really strong on Monday. But I'd say, you know, if Oregon State had an MVP from these first two games of the tournament, it had to be Michaela Pivik. I mean, she scored, what, 39 total points in the wins, pair of double-doubles, also finished with 11 assists. I know on the TV broadcast Monday night, one of the commentators mentioned how she's the best player in the country that, that you probably haven't heard of. And obviously everyone around here has. We can we can think of that's kind of a funny comment. But it really is kind of wild how she is sort of under the radar seemingly considering her all-around game is fantastic. And you mentioned that Oregon State doesn't have that you know one go-to score necessarily to just take over a game. And sometimes when I'm watching, I'm just like, you know, Michaela, you, you can be this person. You're so talented. You can score. So she can score 25 points a game. That's not her style. That's not what she does. But like you said, I mean, if Oregon State is going to go beat a Louisville, I mean, probably it starts right with Michaela Pivik having a big game, right? Yeah. You know, Ron Callen asked me on the pregame show, you know, yesterday, who my, who my, who I thought would be the, 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 the key player. It sounds so weird to say <laughs> Michaela Pivik will yeah. be a key player when like you just rolled off everything that she's done. And, you know, when you're, what I don't know, eight or nine rebounds a game as a guard, and you know you can score, you know when you want. You can go inside and outside, and you play defense, and you scrap all over the, the floor. The instincts are just and off the charts. You draw nine fouls, is what she did yesterday. That, that she was the drew number. Nine, I believe so. I'm trying to remember from last night. There were a lot of fouls, but she drew nine fouls, and that's just incredible for someone that can do that. I mean, like you said, and she made the the play of the season when she goes inside to get the game to within two, and then mm-hmm. comes over and gets you know, a whistle for a held ball that gives the ball back to Oregon State with nine seconds left when it looked hopeless there with 13 seconds yeah. left. So um, by far she is, I mean, I think that's the, exactly what they said, you know, the, the the best player you've never heard of. And it's, it's kind of unfortunate because when you play on a team like Oregon State where you've got so many different players that can do stuff, you don't look at that. Sometimes that kind of stuff gets overlooked. But, I mean, I've seen it since her freshman year. I still remember some tip in that she had I think it was against Stanford or something. Ended like the first quarter, she just goes up there. And there's this little little volleyball tap off the rebound. I'm like the instincts that she has for the game of basketball as a freshman early on. It's just crazy. So no, I love watching her play. And she, if they're going to win, she's going to play big. So like an Aubrey Dawkins style, she was able to put it in. Well, Aubrey couldn't quite get that to drop against Duke. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Steve's a, Steve's a Duke guy, so that was a tough moment for him. That was, that was a, actually it was kind of fun because we were all down in the media room at Gill watching it, and Andrea Aquino actually was over from the women's team, was in there watching it. She was rooting for UCF, and I'm not sure who other people were rooting for. UCF, everybody. I know, but it was interesting because <laughs> I think there were there was a, probably a 50-50 okay. of those of us in there, which was really interesting, you know, in there. And, uh, you know, I mean, I obviously been a duke fan since johnny dawkins was a senior he was my who's first, that he's my first favorite player you know so i'm dating myself there um and you know coaching ucf there so either way it would have been a cool thing and yeah. but yeah no that was that was fun it was fun to kind of see andrea in a different you know you know situation there where she was cheering them like everybody else was in the team room watching or doing something and she's over there watching with all of us <laughs> in the media it's just kind of like that's that's pretty cool I know it is funny how some of these players, these athletes at Oregon State, the allegiances they have. You know, Grant Gambrell, starting pitcher, just a diehard Cleveland Browns fan with this Baker Mayfield jersey all the time. It's it's hilarious to see you know the, the allegiances these kids have, and remember that yeah, you know, they're sports fans too. Yeah, no, nah, so that's fun. <laughs> uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Matty Washington, like we said, really really strong game starting against Gonzaga. You know, if you just look at the pure numbers, not necessarily eye popping, like twelve points, six rebounds, and an assist, but uh, she was a complete difference maker on both ends of the court you know again instincts uh she always seems to be in the right spot and to me i felt like the offense flowed better when she was out there than it did with, with when joe grimmick was out there and you know it, like you said likely a matchup thing in that game but i have seen that other times too and i guess anyway i guess what what did you think kind of about what you were you saw maddie you know do in that game in such an important spot yeah she's definitely quicker and more athletic than than joe and i think that this team is pretty athletic mm-hmm. so i think sometimes when you got joe out there and she's you know, taking up a lot of room inside. Offensively, Maddie's a better player. Defensively, Joe's a better player. And so you've kind of got to pick your poison of what you want to try to get through. And I think when they, I think they can find something when they need some points. I mean, and Maddie at six one in the post holds her own even against some taller players. And you know, so I think she might work well. You know, against Louisville, where if you had to go up against, you know, if they played Baylor this year and she had to be in there, that'd be kind of tough to to get her in there against Kalani Brown and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be interesting, but no, you're right. I mean, I think they do. I think this that kind of that her her ability to move quicker and will allow that offensive flow. I think sometimes when she's there, she can draw defenders in or screen them off, and Destiny can get to the rim on some of those. So it's a tough it's it's a tough thing. It's like how do you want to play and and what are you gonna do? What are you gonna you gonna sacrifice offensively? You're gonna sacrifice defensively? And I think the part of the game will dictate where they kind of want to go with that. I mean, you still want Joe in there because she can do a lot of stuff defensively Mm -hmm. that, you know, that rim protector you kind of need in this, in this game anymore. No, for sure is interesting because both of them bring such different things to the table. I guess we'll just kind of have to see where that goes in this matchup. And it was neat to see. I mean, you you talk about like, she did start the Washington game and played, or not, she didn't start the Washington. She, she played 18, 16 minutes the last couple of games. So she'd been a little bit, but she didn't play against Arizona state at all. And in the four games before that, she played a total of 21 minutes. That is crazy. So, for someone who was a big, you know, she right. was a big impact player early in the season. And that's when Joe's development and her mm-hmm. ability to be out on the court longer and to not be a liability offensively. Mm-hmm. I think early on she was a liability offensively. And sometimes you kind of see, like, she's just a little slow to catch the ball and stuff, you know. Um, and so you, you kind of got to, again, pick your poison. What do you want to do? But I think it's interesting that for a kid that – started 16 games and then she started a game against Oregon and played like five minutes is all in that game at Oregon. And then she played, you know, with that game in the next three, 21 total minutes and then doesn't play at all to just to kind of stay with it. You know, I mean, that was a tough stretch for everybody, but for her to stay mentally ready and then to come out there and do what she did over the weekend, I think is really impressive and says a lot about her character and, and the way that she was able to kind of just block all that out and say, 
it's this game. What can I do for my team? All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and then Steve and I uh, will be back in a few seconds and talk some uh, talk some more Oregon State women's basketball uh, moving forward. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. All right, we're back here with Steve Gress from the Corvallis Gazette Times and Albany Democrat Herald. Oregon State is one of uh, five Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16, a list that includes Oregon, UCLA, Arizona State, and Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, of course. How could I forget? How could I? How could I forget? It's their 16th, I think, straight. That's it. Or 12th, I don't know, straight sweet 16 or something. I don't know. You could they, you could have told me it's their 30th straight. Yeah, I would have believed I it. I think it, it might be more. I can't remember what I heard. I heard it something, and it was like, that's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, we all knew the conference was loaded this year, so I don't think we should be too surprised. I, I guess any of these teams catch you off guard at all. They made it. Maybe for me, Arizona State, I haven't really seen too much of them this year, but, I mean, they obviously beat Oregon State, and the other four I, I saw a lot and certainly looked like sweet 16 teams to me yeah no i'm not surprised by arizona state i didn't i thought getting by miami in coral gables florida would be a difficult thing to do but no i'm not surprised that they i mean i feel they had the talent and again i just look at you got to go across the country and you got to play there i thought that would be a tough thing to do but not because i didn't think they were good enough yeah. i just thought miami was pretty solid too they beat notre dame and louisville so that's a very very good win for charlie and her group and no i mean she said we're built for march that's what they want they felt like they had the depth and things and and they could can go on the road and win a game like that which is exactly what they did so um no i'm not surprised um this is the second time in three years that five pac-12 teams have made it to the sweet 16 um it's interesting too i think they're out of the six the 16 teams, eight of them have been there for four straight years, and Oregon State and UCLA are in that group. Oh, and Stanford are all in that group. Yeah, Stanford's been there that many years. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, but that's for the last four years. You've had Oregon State, UCLA, and Stanford, and then you've had other teams kind of jump yeah. in there. You know, Oregon's been in there a couple years, and Washington made it for a year. And so, um, I think Cal might have made it even into a, a Sweet 16 in that time. I can't recall, but. You know, so yeah, no, the, it's incredible what this conference has done. Three ACC teams, three SEC teams, and five Pac-12 teams make up the make up eleven of the sixteen. So pretty, pretty impressive. 
Um, two of the Pac-12 teams are going to be heading to the Albany Regional. Um, action begins at 4 p.m. Pacific time Friday uh, with number two seed UConn taking on number six seed UCLA. The four seeded Beavers will play number one seed Louisville. Uh, after that game, tip off what approximately 6:30. 6:30 Pacific, yeah. So other than uh, other than just a few minutes kind of on the ESPN whip around coverage, I I haven't really seen or don't know too much about Louisville. Uh, th- those girls, they, they certainly looked very very dominant uh, against Robert. Morris and Michigan, I believe, uh, were, were the two wins. So I guess, Steve, what, what kind of chance do you think Oregon State does have in this game? Uh, you know, they played them last year and it was close for a half. And then I think just that athleticism and skill and playing, you know, in Lexington, Kentucky, which mm-hmm. is basically a home game, you know, uh, you really kind of propelled them, you know, um, in that second half. So they're able to pull away. I mean, Asia Durer, I th- said it the last time I was on here, really, really good player. And and uh, Faring came back for the tournament. So she's really good. I mean, they've got a lot of talent on that team. They're, they're accustomed to being in the Final Four. They've got that experience. They're, you know, a veteran team. And so it's going to be a very, very difficult task, you know, for Oregon State on Friday. So one thing that has certainly stood out to me about Oregon State recently is just kind of the, the three-point shooting. I think for about the last month plus, they've been shooting about 30% as a team, which is just so unusual for a Scott uh, Root coach group, you know. And even this team, when Cat Tudor went down, you know, early, first game in Pac-12 play, for that first half of the Pac-12 season or maybe even more, Oregon State was still shooting a really, really good percentage from three. I just I feel like if the Beavers have any shot of winning this game, they're just going to have to get back to knocking down more three-pointers, which really – in this two games at Gil Coliseum, they still didn't shoot that great of a percentage. So I just, where, where do you kind of think on that? Does, doesn't it seem like Oregon State's going to need a 45, 50% shooting from three really to have a shot in this one? You know, I mean, it'd be nice, but I think part of the problem too is that everybody's trying to run them off the three-point line. Everybody's yeah. extending the defense, and that's where if you don't have that inside presence that can score, it's not going to open up the outside. That's why Oregon State's been so good for so long. You want to you wanna not, you want to guard the three-point line? Throw it into Ruth Hamlin, she scores. Throw it into Marie Gulich, she scores. And that's opening that stuff up. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's been kind of a deal. And, and you've lost a great three-point shooter in Cat Tutor. If she's one more option that you've kind of got to go for, that can also open up the inside. So if teams aren't worried about getting the ball into the post and scoring in there, then it makes it, you know, they'll, they'll extend, you know, to the three-point line or even out farther just to run them off their spot. So I think that's been a big thing that I've noticed is that the defense has extended so much here lately. Um, and that's why you see them trying to attack the basket more. And it'd be great if they could continue to do that, you know, and get some points in there. I think they just need to, they need to score. I don't care if it's three or two and then they have to defend. And if they can do that and not allow Louisville to get out in transition, they can keep the game close. And we've seen in the last few games, what they can do if the game's close in the last two or three minutes. In your bracket, I can't remember. Did, did you pick UConn to win at all? I know you were talking about that you were going to. I did because no one would. So I was yeah. trying to go a little crazy. Like I was a super crazy that I have the ones and the twos in all four <laughs> regionals into this under the elite eight. So I had to mess it up a little bit there. Um, I, you know, I I did that just because we I joked about it. Like like yeah, yeah. everybody knows UConn's gonna go and roll everybody in this one, and they haven't. I mean that that was a tough battle against Buffalo. And they don't jump out to that big lead, you know, that they might have been in trouble at home. I mean, so, yeah. you know, I, I would not be surprised if UCLA wins um, in the Sweet 16. I just think they can offensive rebound like almost nobody. Like and, nobody. Well, yeah. You know, but Buffalo, I think, had 24 offensive boards and even Towson had 21. I think I saw somewhere. Maybe those numbers are a little off, but I think both of them had over 20 offensive rebounds. So that gives you an opportunity if you're UCLA and, um, so I, you know, I, I would not be shocked 
if UCLA won. Although I do have UConn winning the whole thing, so for my own sake, that I have to root for UConn, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just like you. I just I would not be remotely shocked if UCLA wins this game. I, I watched a really really good chunk of that Maryland game Monday night before the Oregon State came game uh, game came on. And, and the Bruins are just like we all saw at Gil Coliseum, and they're just ferocious. Yeah, they are. I mean, I can't even put words yeah. real. I can't. I, I don't know what the words are just for how much I kind of enjoy watching them and how they attack the glass and how they play. I mean, for me, it's just kind of refreshing. I know. Well, I guess you already said that you're rooting for UConn. I'm going to be rooting for UCLA. I think it would be an awesome story if UCLA could go in there and win that game. And obviously, Oregon State, UCLA to go to the Final Four. That'd be pretty fun, right? That would be. And, you know, I mean, it's my bracket, and I don't really care about that. I mean, like, it was kind of funny. Like, I picked Syracuse to get through, but South Dakota State goes and pulls the upset there. That was cool, uh, too. I remember South Dakota State came here, to get, or Corvallis, as a 15 seed in 2015. I really enjoyed hanging out with their coach and, and talking with him and just – the vision he had they've been to the tournament a lot so they know but now they were a six seed this year and it just shows the development of that program so that was kind of cool so i was rooting for the jackrabbits last night even though it messed up my bracket a little bit (laughs) (laughs) and i think that'll be an interesting battle against you know oregon there because they played once already this year so they're not going to be in awe of oregon or not know what to do so that'll be interesting well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you got to get you know head to Albany before you know tomorrow. I guess are you going to have a little time when you're back there to see some of the sites? I guess are there are well, there are there sites to see in upstate New York? Well, I don't know. You know, the interesting thing is because uh, Oregon State doesn't play until 9:30 p.m. Eastern time yeah, that's on a, Friday. That's a fun so tip I, off. I will probably have some time Friday morning to figure something out. But I think we're flying. I don't think we get to land until I don't. I haven't got the everything confirmed yet on the flight stuff. But I think we're getting in at like. 11 30 p.m tomorrow night i'm not sure you're supposed so, to give out the team flight information on the podcast who said it was the team flight now <laughs> you just did <laughs> oh never mind we can we can we can we can edit that out no and uh so i mean we're gonna get in super late and everything and uh you know so I, thursday will be a busy day of press conferences all day and but friday i might have some downtime in the morning and early afternoon because the first game's not till seven o'clock there so i don't need to get to the arena till like five and so it's a full day uh, yeah, and you're gonna I, be I, on you're gonna be on west coast time too i know well actually i like that because yeah i, I hate i hate late starts so it'll be 9 30 there but like, i still have plenty of time that's true to meet my deadline so yeah i know it's the exact same thing i dealt with at the college world series back in omaha it's like eh, it's you know it can be like 10 11 p.m there but you're like oh actually i'm i'm no trouble at it's all like Be- eight o'clock it's eight there. o'clock back home so we got no issue at all yeah um yeah steve well best of luck with the trip thanks again for joining the beaver buzz podcast part of the that cast podcast network um enjoy everyone the men's and women's basketball this weekend um i plan on being back next week with another show uh we'll probably talk some oregon state baseball or depending on how things go this weekend maybe the women's final four Maybe. Maybe I'll just head to Tampa straight from Albany. I was going to say, probably more you know, direct flight. Probably a good rate there. You can spend a whole week in Tampa Bay. Yeah. <laughs> My wife, who walked in a few minutes ago, does not like that idea very much from a personal standpoint. I guess that's true. You know, catch a lightning game. Well, NHL playoffs. Will they be going on? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully my Bruins will be playing them. I could go that's see true. that. That's true. Big. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks again, Steve, and everybody have a terrific weekend. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.